0: Do you like this show and you want
1: to help support us? Do you want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Of course you do! Well then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. Greetings, programs, and welcome back to another edition of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins.
2: And I am a very exhausted <laughs> Derek Diamond.
1: So, how, uh, well, we talked about it, but let the people know what happened with your day. We were supposed to record, actually, uh, we're recording this on Sunday because uh, as a, if er, uh, you regular listeners know that during the summer it's kind of hard for us to do the live show because Derek has such a crazy schedule because he works with the Pensacola Blue Wahoos baseball team. So we don't get to do the live show very much, so we kind of record when we can. And we were supposed to record at 9.30 this morning, but here it is, 8.45 at night. So <laughs> what happened?
2: Okay, so one of the things with working in baseball is when it rains, it pours. You have to put, <laughs> you have to put a giant tarp on the infield so the field doesn't get muddy and basically you can't play on it. And when we don't have games here, we lose money. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think our president actually told us that every rainout that we have cost us like over a hundred grand. Whoa! Well, because you you got to take in possible concession sales, merchandise sales. Yeah, Uh, People will exchange their tickets and all that kind of stuff. So a a lot goes into it. But basically Saturday night, we were told that we had to be at the stadium at 9 a.m. for a possible tart pull because there was a chance of rain in the area. So I told Jason, I said, well, you know, I'm not going to be able to record at 930 because I'm going to be at work. And when everybody's here, I can get pulled in, you know, 20 different directions. So we made the agreement that we were just going to record uh, this evening. Well, reporting at 9 became reporting at 10 because of, you know, when the weather report changes, the call time changes depending on what happens. Mm -hmm. So 9 became 10, 10 became noon, and then it ended up not raining at all. (laughs) So I, I still came into work early. Because I realized, well, I've got a lot of stuff I have to do. So I got all that knocked out. And the game was actually fairly easy because everything was prepped. Yeah. You know, we weren't scrambling to do anything. So, um, yeah. And because of that. And Sunday games, now that we're later in the summer, they used to be at one o'clock. But we switched them to five for the later summer game just because it's so hot. And, of course, because I had something planned afterwards, the game went right around a little over three hours. Mm-hmm. But but the kicker is on Sunday we it's our family day so kids can come on the field and basically run the bases plus family toss in the outfield plus post game meeting so you tack on another hour to that after the game is done. So here I am. Yeah, and that's the
1: joy of living on the Gulf Coast is we have tropical weather. We're definitely in the what we call the dog days of summer right now. So you never know when it's going to rain usually get an afternoon shower like that's pretty much a given where it comes where like a a a hurricane basically blows through in like 15 minutes around like one in the afternoon and then the sun comes out and uh basically steams you to death so that's that's the joy of living here
2: yeah it's getting to that time of year where we just have those little pop-up storms like you said it'll rain for 10 to 15 minutes And, of course, that leads to if it's a game day and one of those comes through, we have to run out, Mm -hmm. (laughs) put the tarp on, and then whenever it's over, we have to take it off. Yeah. So it's um, fun. (laughs) You definitely get your workout in when that happens, because when you get, you know, 10 to 15 people pushing a giant piece of plastic Mm. off a, a giant tube and then you pull it out onto the field. It's it's a pretty good workout. Sounds fun, but, but no, I'm. I, I will say I am very exhausted, but I'm I'm glad to you know I'm glad today's game's over and I'm here doing the show. So yeah, was, it, it'll be a a nice way to wind down for the yeah. evening. And as soon as this is over, I'm gonna head home and probably go right to sleep.
1: Yeah, I slept about 13 hours last night. Yesterday took a lot out of me, man. I um I I joined up with the the Free Mom Hugs organization because uh, they had the Biloxi Pride. Festival yesterday. Oh, okay. Uh, And um, I signed up with uh, Free Mom Hugs and went out there and uh, gave a lot of hugs to people that needed it. And uh, you know, a lot of people. It's kind of a life changing experience when you you come across somebody who's been shunned by their friends and family for who they are, and you know they break down crying in your arms and telling you thank you. Uh, You know, it just kind of opens your eyes to you know the power of a hug, I guess. And um, so that was that was kind of a you know a very long but fun and uh, emotional day yesterday. Plus just being out in the heat and the sun all day, and uh, I got a little bit sunburned, so that took a lot out of me. And uh, I slept for I went to bed at eight o'clock last night. I didn't roll out of bed till about nine o'clock this morning. <laughs> After you you told me we weren't gonna uh, do the show this morning, I was like I'm sleeping in so. Slept in, finally pulled myself out of bed about 10 o'clock and forced myself to go to the gym. And uh, that's pretty much been my day so far. I haven't really done much except watch TV and wait to do the show.
2: God, I'm so jealous. I don't know
1: why this cat decides to jump all over me and my chair whenever I do the show. He hasn't wanted anything to do with me all afternoon. Now I'm trying to do the show. He's like, hey, pay attention to me.
2: Well, it's always when you're doing something, they're like, oh, wait. I'm supposed to have the attention
1: this whole time. I've been sitting at my desk for like an hour and a half now, just playing around, getting ready for the show. He's been down at my feet, laying there sleeping. and now I'm doing the show, and he's all over the place. I don't get it. You're a weirdo. Go away. <laughs> uh,
2: that's pet life. But no, yeah. I, I'm sure you know you mentioning the whole pride uh, parade thing. I'm sure that probably adds a lot of pers- perspective to um, you know what goes on and that you things you might not realize that are going on until. Oh, you know yeah. you hear about it
1: yeah and it it's really kind of sad though man i met a lot of people a lot of young kids yesterday who were just so happy to have someone just give them a hug and tell them that you know it's okay and things get better like that if i know we definitely changed perspective on you know one person yesterday this young girl who cried in our arms and because, you know, her parents disowned her and I was like, you know, if we made a difference just for that one girl, it made this whole whole day worth it, you know Oh, absolutely But, let's talk about uh, some news tonight How about that? Let's do it This is something we've been talking about for quite a while now. Uh, for NintendoLife.com. Nintendo is thinking about extending Switch Online Retro Library beyond the NES software. At Nintendo's 79th annual general meeting of shareholders yesterday, company president Shintaro Furukawa was asked about the possibility of retro software from platforms such as the Nintendo 64 and GameCube Air appearing on the Switch in the future. Um He says uh, that they had no new information to share, but did explain the Japanese video game giant had been thinking of extending its online service and acknowledged fans have been wanting to play certain older titles. Um, As of April this year, close to 10 million users have signed up to use Nintendo Switch online service. That's a lot of people. Um, At the time of the milestone, Nintendo's president noted how users were still enjoying NES offerings and wanted to make the service more attractive over the long term. So what do you think? Um, I I definitely see us getting Super Nintendo, but what about also, like how are they going to do the Nintendo 64 if they do?
2: That's actually a very good question. Um, I think Natural Progression says that the next thing they add should be the Super Nintendo. But I'm not going to lie. I've, reading the GameCube makes me happy because I've been kind of on a GameCube oh, yeah. kick
1: lately. I love so, the GameCube. That was such an underrated console. I I wish I had never gotten rid of it back in the day. I had so many good games for that that
2: console. In saying that, though, I think my GameCube might be on the fritz. Oh, no! Play, it, is, <laughs> it is on the fritz because I tried playing uh, last weekend... Because I was really wanting to play Pikmin. So I hook up my GameCube and everything. And then I put the disc in and I hear it make this type of weird noise. Mm. The main menu to the GameCube comes up and it says there's no disc in the system. Oh no. Maybe the, the reader's going out. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know if that's something that's fixable. I don't know. Or if if I'm going to have to bite the bullet and get a new one.
1: Well, I would say first, take it to to, to your local retro shop. See if there's anything they can do. And I'm going to do an experiment right now. You can go ahead and talk. I'm going to look on eBay and see how much just the console costs.
2: Yeah, so I, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I wonder if the GameCube is right on the fringe of... You know retro gaming because th- there are some yeah. GameCube games, especially the early ones like Luigi's Mansion, Pikmin, uh, Smash Brothers Melee, that I would love to review on this show. But then I keep thinking, well, the GameCube was in two thousand one, so we we haven't quite hit that twenty year mark yet. Yeah. But then again, I've also reviewed games that are from two thousand, like Majora's Mask.
1: Well, I'm I'm honestly I'd be totally down for reviewing. GameCube games, because I I consider it to be sort of a retro system.
2: Like I said, I think it's right on the edge of, is it retro or is it not? Because I think you can make the argument either way, because the console itself is almost 20 years old. You can actually, I'm looking
1: at it right now on eBay, you can pick up a complete GameCube for still relatively cheap. You can get one right now that's at the very top, that's still in its box. I mean, it's open. But it's in the box, a complete system for ninety seven ninety nine. Buy it now.
2: That's not bad at all.
1: Yeah, there's another one here that's a complete system. It's, it's the jet black one, like the one I have. Uh, Seventy four ninety five. Buy it now. So for under hundred bucks, you can still get a GameCube. That's not bad at all.
2: Yeah, I think what I might do is once the homestand is over, I might take it over to the video game trading posts that we mm-hmm. have here in town. Yeah. And see if they have any advice. And if it ends up that I have to bite the bullet and get a new one, then that's what I'll do. Because if it's only like, you know, seventy to a hundred dollars, that's not that bad. Yeah. I mean it's
1: cheaper than the PlayStation Playstation Mini when it dropped. So <laughs> Yeah.
2: That's very true. Yep. But back to what I was saying about the article, I think I would it's going to be interesting to see how they handle the N64 games because I feel like they have to try and beef up the graphics a little bit. They're going to have to not only Before that, but it. they're
1: going to have to give you some sort of peripheral advice to uh device to kind of recreate that controller. I don't know, maybe yeah. they could do it with the the existing controllers, but that would that'd be kind of hard to do.
2: Well, if you look at the the two Joy-Cons, you have the A, B, X, Y buttons on one side, which if I remember right... True. If I remember right, I think the N64 had only the A and B buttons.
1: Um,
2: or did it Or did it have X, Y? Let me look up the N64 controller real quick. Yeah. I want to say it had just the A and B, but I could be wrong. But I, I think it's a natural progression. You know, that at least they've got to add start adding super nintendo games
1: yeah you had the a and And, b button which were the blue and the green buttons and then you had the four yellow buttons the c buttons Uh, yeah Yeah, i'm looking at the
2: controller right now and then you had the control pad on the left side the start button in the middle and then the joystick at the very bottom such a horrible controller design (laughs) yeah i held one in my hands the other day and i was like Uh, holy crap how did i play with this thing but I think it was because it was the only option that we had. Like holding hands with a Velociraptor. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Something like that. Uh, uh, right as it uh, opens the door to try and kill you.
1: Yeah. But I'm excited for this. I really hope they start dropping Super Nintendo titles. Like, I, We've been talking about this for how long now? That they need to do this in order to keep people engaged with, uh, with Nintendo Switch Online. Because 10 million people know. is a lot of people.
2: Yeah. And I mean, the, the four games a month just isn't cutting it anymore. No, it's not.
1: It's not. And, you know, the perks you get, kind of the, the discounts you get for buying games is just not enough to, to keep. And plus, they're, you know, they're being able to play games multiplayer are still kind of clunky. Like, they really need to improve their online presence.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You want to know what's funny is we've mentioned a, a few times over the last several weeks, neither of us really have the time to sit down and play an RPG. Mm-hmm. Over the weekend, I just had, well, my GameCube didn't work. I said, you know what? I kind of feel like playing Mario RPG. So I hooked up my SNES Classic, and I played it for like two and a half hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> That's awesome. It was such a fun game. I forgot how just how fun that game was. But it's great. Yeah. Let's see. Our next story comes to us also from nintendolife.com. Speaking of N64, play your Nintendo 64 on modern displays with the Super 64 HDMI adapter. This sounds awesome. Yes, it does. Depending on your setup at home, getting your beloved Nintendo 64 to work on a modern display isn't as easy as it once was. Some fancy monitors just aren't expecting you to plug in a 23-year-old machine, but this little adapter should sort out any issues wonderfully. The EON Super 64 is a plug-and-play solution which connects the N64 to any modern TV via HDMI. One end fits right into the back of your console, just as the original cables did, and the other end is ready and waiting to accept a standard HDMI cable. It doesn't need any type of external power source, and is said to provide truly lagless input. That's amazing. And pre-orders for the adapter are going live. They are live now, actually, in North America. You can grab one for a hundred and fifty bucks.
1: I know that's a little expensive for my taste though
2: yeah i I would think about it at least you know if if I get into a phase where I'm trying to play a lot of n sixty four games like on the actual console, then I might bite the bullet and do it yeah, and There's well, actually some uh pictures here comparing you know the composite cables. Yeah to the Super 64 and there is a difference you know the the it does look a little bit brighter
1: yeah well it says it upscales the visual output to 480p um which was double what the N64 could do back in the day and I don't think you want to go much higher than that because you know as much as we love the N64 I think if you bumped it up to like 720
2: or 1080 it would look awful yeah no, I I completely agree with that, but like I said, I I would consider it. You know, I I do think it's a little pricey. I think if it were a hundred, I think that would be reasonable. Yeah, but one fifty is a bit much, and it, it does launch on the twenty second of July.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're a person that doesn't have a CRT television, like I still have my CRT television that I play my uh, old consoles on. I don't really have a need for something like this, but if I lost my CRT and had to upgrade to a modern television to play my retro games on, this is definitely something I'd probably pick up, Uh, especially if you're a streamer and you want to stream some N64 stuff. I mean, this is a a must-have.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: Uh, and for our last story tonight, um, if everybody remembers the uh, the C64 Mini that came out a few months ago. Well, from HotHardware.com, the C64 is a full-size Commodore 64 reboot for the 1980s retro gaming community. Um, it is official. Retro Games is releasing a full-size retro reboot of the original Commodore 64 called the C64 on de- December 5th. 5th. I can't talk tonight. That means it will arrive in plenty of time for Christmas. Um, Let's see. uh, Retro gaming is in vogue right now. Blah, blah, blah with the NES and SNES Classic. Um, The Commodore 64 reboot already released a miniature version last year. Uh, And let's see. The full-size model will have a working keyboard and a more authentic throwback experience. Um, let's see, it will uh, co- it will connect via HDMI to deliver crisp 720 HD visuals. And uh, let's see, what else does it do? 64 games pre-installed, such as California Games, Destroyer, Impossible Mission 1 and 2, Monty on the Run, Speedball 2, and many others. However, a un- unique twist is that players will be able to add more games from a USB memory stick not included. That is is awesome now that is something that they should have done with the Nintendo and sNES classics like all the classic consoles should have come with a an uh, USB port to be able to load more games onto them
2: yeah that was really smart to add that feature to the commodore yep it, it's um I think that's honestly a deal breaker yeah and honestly I, I still think
1: I have my Commodore 64 somewhere out at my mom and dad's house with uh, the tape player and all the cool stuff that came with it. Never played
2: the Commodore 64.
1: Yeah, I used to code okay. games on it when I was a kid. We used to have a couple of big video games. They used to uh put out these books of of games that you could code. Uh that you know, my brother got one for Christmas, so I used to take some of the smaller games, the ones that were only like a page or two. To uh to code and code like little games like Hangman and stuff like that. It was fun. I liked the Commodore sixty four a lot.
2: This might be something that I will consider getting. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at the top of the article. I think Holy it'd be crap, worth you getting
1: because you never experienced it. I think you would actually enjoy it.
2: I think so too. I. Uh, Sony PlayStation Classic has dropped to $30 on Amazon. Holy crap. I still don't want to buy it. (laughs) Is that bad? No. I mean, that's what happens when you put a subpar product out. Yeah, no kidding. But, no, I I would definitely consider getting the Commodore 64. Like you said, it was something that I never experienced. And the fact that you can add games onto it it is a really awesome option. So
1: That makes me want to get one right there just for that option.
2: Yeah. Be cool to review a Commodore 64 game or two. We should. That sounds great. I'm 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 honest,
1: like I'm I'm so locked in on the Sega uh, Genesis Mini at this point. Like I can't even think of anything else right now. Like I am so, (laughs) you know, have blinders on for that system. Yeah. But uh, let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history, shall we? what happened? <laughs> that was weird. In July of 1980, Atari Inc releases the Cold War inspired Missile Command, probably one of my favorite games for the uh the Atari 2600. Never played it, but I love the flyer for it. Oh, uh, yeah, the that game art is awesome.
2: Yeah. There was some really good game art around that time. Yeah,
1: I want to get like, that it. It has that such a released.
2: distinct look to it. You know, yeah. you it just screams early eighties. Oh like, yeah, all they, of it does. I want to get that great. art
1: book that was released uh, a while back about all the Atari art and uh, get that kind of. It's kind of like a coffee table book. I want to get mm-hmm. that. I love that artwork from that time. It was such false advertising,
2: <laughs> but <laughs> it was it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, July 9th, 1981, Nintendo releases Donkey Kong, which introduces the characters of Donkey Kong and Mario and sets the template for the platformer genre. It is also one of the first video games with an integral storyline. Donkey Kong. Love me some Donkey Kong. I mean, when it comes to gaming of that era, it doesn't get much more iconic than Donkey Kong. You know, oh, it yeah. was. I think it was looking back on it, it was one of the most important video games of all time because, as I just said in that description, it introduced the greatest video game or most known video game character of all time in Mario. It set the template for the platformer genre, which is a huge, huge genre that, to me, dominated the 80s and 90s.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the game that put Nintendo on the map, you know?
2: Yeah. Love Donkey Kong.
1: Yeah. That's we're going to be talking about Diddy Kong tonight. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In July of 1981, the Namco Warp and Warp Arcade System Board is released. Uh, It is a dedicated computer system created for the purposes of running video arcade games. Uh, Let's see. It ran. Oh, wow. Uh, A lot of uh, different stuff it ran. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Oh, I don't want to go into it. Let's just say it was very important board. <laughs> yeah.
2: It was so awesome they had to name it twice. Yes, they did. In July of 1985, Namco releases Baraduke Alien Sector in the US. I don't remember Alien Sector. I love the name Baraduke. Oh yeah. It sounds so
1: class. I know. It kind of reminds me of Babadook. Yeah, it does.
2: Have Uh, we talked about this game before? I think
1: we have. Um, I know we've talked about Alien Sector before. Maybe we talked about it when it was released on the Nintendo.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: Possibly. But I know the, I've the, the never name, reviewed The name it. Baraduke sounds familiar. Yeah.
1: Uh, July Man, 85 had a lot of stuff released in July. Let's see. In July also of 85, Sega releases Hang On by Yu Suzuki and AM2. It is the first of Sega's Super Scalar games. Its motorbike cabinet is controlled using the body, starting a tycon trend of motion-controlled hydraulic cabinets in arcades some two decades before motion controls became popular on video game consoles. I used to play Hang-On a lot in the arcades back in the day.
2: Never played this. The name does sound familiar, though. I
1: think this was uh, one of the games they actually released on... Was this on... Yeah, this was definitely on the... Uh, uh, oh yeah, it was on the Master System. Yeah, I remember this game. I don't think they ever released this for the Genesis.
2: No, it was on Master System and the Sega Saturn. Yeah. it's weird. Which is they odd that it wasn't that on the Genesis. Yeah, no, that's odd. It was very odd. Also in July of 1985, Sega releases the Sega Space Harrier Arcade Hardware, also known as Sega Hang-On. The first of Sega's super scalar arcade system boards that allowed pseudo three D sprite scaling at high frame rates. It, disp- it displays sixty one forty four colors on screen, out of a thirty two thousand seven hundred and sixty eight color palette. Wow! A lot of tech stuff that yeah. happened in in July <laughs>
1: eighty five was a big year. Yeah. Uh, Also, in July the 23rd, to be exact, of 85, Commodore releases the Amiga 1000 personal computer, the first in the Amiga family. It was not widely available until
2: 1986. Uh, The Amiga. Yes, the Amiga. How you reek of 80s technology, and I love (laughs) you for it.
1: And people still run their Amigas today. Like, that was a beast of a computer.
2: That's insane. That is absolutely insane. On July 26th of 1985, Nintendo releases the Family Computer Robot, a peripheral for their family computer uh, home video game console in Japan. Would that be ROB, the Robotic Operating Buddy? Also known as Rob. Yes. Who you can currently find in the Super Smash Bros. series. Yes, and you can find in real life probably at any flea market for like, you know, ten bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I never had Rob, but I I vaguely remember Rob as a kid. And then that, that memory was re-sparked when he was included. I wanna say it was in Smash Brothers Brawl mm-hmm. was the first Smash Brothers game he was in for the um for the Wii. Yeah, I only had <laughs> one
1: friend that actually had the Rob peripheral back in the eighties when I was a kid. Um because it wasn't available very long. Because really, I mean, they only did, what, like six games for it before they just kind of dropped it entirely?
2: Something like that, yeah. It's
1: crazy. Uh, Let's move on to 1990, shall we? On July 12th of 1990, Nintendo of America publishes Final Fantasy for the Nintendo Entertainment System in North America. The game started Square's popular and long-running Final Fantasy series. You don't say.
2: (laughs) Still going to this day. You know, yep. I know they, they did recently actually announce a release date for the remastered Final Fantasy VII. I saw that. Which, I'm, I'm kind of interested in it, because I know that game was so big when it came out. And I even said it, you know, when I reviewed it, I did enjoy Final Fantasy III uh, from what I played of it. So the remastered Seven might be one that I do consider playing but we'll we'll have to see but i mean it's, it's one of those things that you got to give credit where credits due that franchise has been going now almost what, 30 years yeah yeah and I'll, still
1: I'll, going strong and people love it i'll definitely leave those reviews up to you <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh still fighting the good fight
1: fighting i love it, it. I'm going down swinging. On July 20th of 1990, (laughs) Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake for the MSX2 computer is released exclusively in Japan. It is Konami's last major game for the hardware.
2: I need to play a Metal
1: Gear Solid game. Yeah, this was, um, I don't think this one was ever, this was not, there was a Snake's Revenge sequel for the NES, that's what I was thinking of. Um, yeah, yeah, that was the one that he was not. Um, uh, let's see, he what was his name that uh, created Metal Gear? Um, trying to think of his name, uh, Hideo Kojima. Um, yeah, yeah, he had nothing to do with Snake's Revenge, and he was not
2: happy about it. I remember that. It's crazy to think that Metal Gear Solid has been around for that long. I know. I always think of it as like a late '90s property. Like it started around the late '90s.
1: Oh no, it was one of the very first kind of uh, stealth games for the NES. Didn't play well, at least not that I remember. I'm not. I think it's probably because of that game. I am not a fan of the stealth genre of video games.
2: Yeah. But to close us out for this month in video game history on July 27th of 1990 Nintendo releases dr. Mario for three Nintendo platforms love dr Mario dr Mario's fun it's it's in the same vein as like your your Tetris type games but is is super underrated and I think it it adds you know its own little spin on to it yeah which um, it might be a little tease for the game I'm about to review ah uh-
1: Oh, <laughs> I, dude, I'm, I am—I get so addicted to Dr. Mario. I have to keep myself from playing it a lot because it's just like I love games like Tetris and things like that. But there is something about Dr. Mario that just keeps me playing it for hours and hours. And I don't know what it is. There's a little sp- something in the sauce, but it just it it's addicting as hell. No, I totally get it. But uh I think it's time to go into our review for tonight. What do you think? Absolutely. Let's do this. The Donkey Kong-related games always had some of the best music.
2: I'm not going to lie. Just hearing that intro brings back so many great memories. (laughs) It's awesome. So this is actually a game that I've been excited to review for a while. And I hadn't played it in probably close words of up to four years. Hmm. Uh, The game I'm going to be reviewing this week is Diddy Kong Racing which is a racing video game developed and published by Rare for the Nintendo 64. It re- it was released on the 21st of November in 1997 in Europe and the 24th of November in 1997 in North America. So this was around the time the marriage between Rare and Nintendo, and I've talked about it before, but it was one of the best combinations of gaming companies of all time. And I would dare say, I would argue that it is the best because you could take a look at the list of games that that, those two companies made together. And they're all great. You know, you go back to the Donkey Kong Country games, you have Conker's Bad Fur Day, Banjo-Kazooie. But one I think that gets a little overlooked is Diddy Kong Racing. Because Mario Kart had come along for the Super Nintendo And it set the standard for racing games, specifically party racing games, you know, games that you could have friends over and just play for hours with each other. But Diddy Kong Racing, I think, set itself apart because it has very much that Mario Kart formula. Mm. Because it's one of those things that, you know, if it works, why change it? You know, you, you can't really change the structure or delve too far from it, but you can add to it and you can make it your own thing and make it better. Yeah. Um, but to get into a little bit of the gameplay of it, uh, in Diddy Kong Racing, players can choose one of eight characters who have access to three different types of vehicles. You have a car, you have an airplane, and you have a hovercraft you know your the car is basically what you expect it's your all around vehicle um you can use a hovercraft on land i wouldn't suggest it because traction is not that great but yeah. on water obviously it's fantastic and there are some courses that delve m- with mostly water when you especially when you get to the beach type levels and, and then you have the airplane which you know is pretty self explanatory yeah uh, you have different weapons that you can use. You can get missiles, but the cool thing is you you get you get your weapons by hitting different colored balloons. So, for example, if you hit a red balloon, then you get a missile. Now, obviously, you can use it. There's no homing capability to it. You just shoot it and it fires similar to like a green shell in Mario Kart. Oh yeah. but or you can save it and you hit another red balloon and you can upgrade your weapon to a homing missile you know you shoot that and it will hit the closest target similar to a red shell or you can save the homing missile and you get a third balloon, and then you get 10 missiles none of them (laughs) are homing missiles but if you are in front of say three people you can just open fire like a madman yeah and chances are you're going to hit somebody and the different colored balloons you know there are blue ones i think for boosters um green for obstacles that you can set up throughout the courses. So again that's borrowing from Mario Kart but adding its own element to it.
1: I would actually think that would be a good uh thing to bring over into Mario Kart to be able to upgrade um you know your weapons and stuff cuz sometimes you'll you know like you said you'll get the the green shell and you're like oh man like I wish I could get something else like it would be cool if you like if you held on to whatever weapon you had, you could, you know, next time you go through one of the little boxes, you could upgrade it to something yeah. else.
2: No, I, I totally agree with that. And another thing that Diddy Kong Racing does that sets itself apart, which is my favorite aspect of the entire game. With Mario Kart, there's really not a story mode to it. You just do your different cups and yeah. you try and win, you know, the gold cup. But with Diddy Kong Racing, there's an actual story to it. So the plot of the game, Timber the Tiger's parents, Timber is a tiger who lives on an island with all these horses. His parents go on vacation and leave their son in charge of the island they live on, leaving him and his friends to organize a race. Their their enjoyment is derailed with an evil intergalactic pig wizard named (laughs) Whizpig. Yes, I'm not joking when I say that. (laughs) I arrives at Timber's Island Pig back in the day <laughs> and attempts to take it over by having conquered his own planet's racetracks. He turns the islands 4 guardians tricky. The Triceratops bluey, the waris blubber, the octopus and smoky, the dragon into his henchmen. The only solution available to the islands inhabitants is to defeat whiz Pig in an elaborate series of races that involve cars, hovercrafts, and airplanes drumstick. The rooster, the best racer on the island, fails this challenge and is transformed into a frog by Whizpig's Pig, Whiz Black Magic. So Timber recruits a team of eight racers. Of course, Diddy Kong. The introduction, believe it or not, huh. of Conquer the Squirrel and Banjo the Bear, uh, Crunch the Kremling, and TipTup the t- There's also uh, TT the Stopwatch, who you unlock uh, by doing his time trials. You have Pipsy the Mouse and Bumper the Badger. So those are the characters that you can choose from. And it's it's Diddy Kong and others, you know, you have your all-around characters. You have your small, like your smaller characters that have high acceleration but aren't very fast. Mm -hmm. Then you have your heavier characters like Banjo and Crunch who are your heavyweights, who have the slow acceleration but are ultimately the fastest characters in the game. Now, after you beat Whizpig, you can actually find Drumstick as a frog outside of Whizpig's fortress. And you can tell that it's him because he has the giant, like, fluffy red hair. <laughs> and all you have to do is run over him, and he turns back into his normal self. Uh, <laughs> which, which <laughs> is cool. Which is pretty funny. So, basically, you go through these different... Uh, Areas, you have uh, Dino Domain, which are all prehistoric theme tracks. Snowflake Mountain, which are all snow-based. Sherbet Island, your beach areas. Dragon Forest, which are your you know, self-explanatory, your forest tracks. Once you unlock all four of those, you beat all of the tracks, and you beat all of the henchmen, and you turn them back to normal. Then you get to race Whizpig. Racing Whizpig is extremely hard because you have to do a flawless race hmm. in order to beat him. You have to hit all your boost tracks. You have to get all the power-ups. You, like, you have to be flawless to beat Whizpig. At least that's been my experience because it's funny, a friend of mine actually bought this game a few years ago and asked if I could help him beat it. And it took me over an hour To beat (laughs) WhizPig. but it's not frustratingly hard. It's one where you just want to keep going and going and going until you beat him. Yeah. So how are the controls
1: on it with using the uh, the original N sixty four controller? Because like I'm I'm unapologetically you know a lover of uh, Mario Kart. Like I love Mario Kart, but I've never played this. I never played any racing games other than um what were we talking about last the uh, pod racer game on the mm-hmm. Nintendo 64 that was the only racing game i ever played on the N64
2: this is one uh, when i get to my overall thoughts on it i'll touch on it that something that might be a little controversial hmm. but as far as playing it with the N64 controller it's tough at first, just because it's so clunky and so untraditional in its design. Yeah. But once you get used to it, you know it's fine. I I would imagine that if this game were to be re-released for say the Switch, or if it were ever released for, you know, the Wii Virtual Console back in the day, that it would have been a lot better. Yeah. It actually was remade for the DS, but the touch controls. I was not a fan of them. Like I, I did not like the remake of Diddy Kong huh. Racing for the DS. You know, I remember being excited when it came out, and then when I played it, you know, I realized pretty quickly. Yeah, this it just isn't this, well, which is says, very unfortunate because it's such a good game.
1: It says here that a sequel was named uh, for Donkey Kong Racing, and it was in development for the GameCube, but it was abandoned after Microsoft purchased Rare for three hundred and seventy-five million in 2002 and that's when the enhanced remake for diddy kong was released uh for the nintendo ds in 2007
2: yeah it's funny i didn't actually know about the sequel until i was you know reading up on this game earlier today you know just trying to refresh my memory on it that would have been awesome to have a an actual sequel for the gamecube because i think it would have been a pretty big hit yeah
1: this was but, the N64's eighth best-selling game. Oh yeah, people
2: love this game. Wow. It, it's it's a super underrated racing game. But because Mario Kart gets so much credit as being the standard bearer, yeah. that I feel like there this and Crash Team Racing for the PlayStation, which I know it was recently remastered and I need to play it. Both these games are super fun in their own way and it sucks because Mario Kart just has such a huge shadow that it's almost like no other racing game <laughs> matters yeah but um you know the the gameplay itself I mean it, it plays very similar to Mario Kart so if, if you're a fan of Mario Kart chances are you're gonna like this game it follows you know some of the same formula but the fact that it actually has a linear story, that you follow actually adds you know a little bit of excitement to it because you know I I didn't have siblings growing up so I had I was focused more on the single player games because that yeah. was really all I could do now I would have friends over occasionally and we would play multiplayer games but for the most part I stuck with single player so yeah. to have a game an actual racing game that gives a single player objective yeah, that that was something that really drew me in. You know, when I found out about, it.
1: I think they should do that for Mario Kart to have a a story
2: mode. Uh, oh, I think that would be fantastic. You know, there's been so many Mario Kart games that I think they can afford to make a Mario Kart game that's a little different. Yeah. and not get a lot of flag for it. Oh
1: yeah, um, I mean, it, you know, they would still make it like it is they just put a story mode in I mean it wouldn't take you know wouldn't be that much different than what you already get that way you're not alienating the people that are just there for the racing but you're gonna draw in a whole new you know a whole new set of people that are there for you know the the story mode
2: oh absolutely I mean I the main reason you include it is because it adds a different, well, to it adds a different layer, but it also will draw a different, you know, demographic of gamer in.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, like, I don't get me wrong, I love playing Mario Kart just to, you know, go through each uh you know section of the game trying to to get the the cup and everything but if there was a story mode I would feel like I accomplished something you know like I finished the story mode and now I'm going to move on to the you know the 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 trials uh to to get the cup and all that kind of stuff so I think that would do well in a Mario Kart game
2: I think so too and as a side note looking back on it it's hilarious that Conker was introduced in this game, and he was very, you know, cutesy and (laughs) family-friendly. And not too long after that was when they released Banjo-Kazooie. And, or did Banjo-Kazooie come out? No, I think Banjo-Kazooie came out after Diddy Kong Racing. But Conker was set to have his own game, and the first gameplay footage came out, and a lot of people ripped it because it said it reminded them too much of Banjo-Kazooie. So then they went back to the drawing board and Conquer became what he did. And it's still one of those franchises that or one of those games that people wish there would have been a franchise, you know, myself included. So I, I just think it's funny going back now and seeing Conquer the way it is. And I'm like, Oh, in a couple of years you're <laughs> getting drunk in a bar and you you piss on people.
1: Yeah, literally. His, um let's see. Um He was included in Diddy Kong Racing in uh, 97. Uh, Let's see. Conker's Quest was renamed as 12 Tales Conker 64 in 99. Conker made his first solo debut in Conker's Pocket Tales for Game Boy Color. Uh, Then he underwent a complete transformation due to criticism for 12 Tales being considered another kids game. So the game eventually was released in 2001 as Conker's Bad Fur Day.
2: That's right, I forgot about the Game Boy game.
1: Yeah, I didn't I didn't even know there was a Game Boy game.
2: Interesting. I completely forgot about that. So disregard my story about Conquer. That's what actually happened. But um Yeah, I I don't know what else really to say other than it's a super fun game that you can play by yourself. And you can enjoy adventure mode because there's a lot to do in addition to the main story. You've got the time trials and various things like that. You know, there, there's a lot of things actually to unlock in this game, which I think is really cool. The music is really catchy. And I remember this, it's mentioned in the Wikipedia page, but I actually had this. I might still have it at my parents' house. I can't remember. But there was Nintendo used to release soundtracks occasionally for their games. Well, they released Diddy Kong Racing, but the CD was cut in the shape of Diddy Kong's head, uh, <laughs> so you couldn't play it in like a car CD player. You would have to play it in like a Walkman. Yeah, which you know I, I had one, and I remember you know listening to it. Which I mean, you can you could put the CD in your computer and rip the tracks, but yeah, it, it was a very unique thing. But the the music was great. Um, As far as the reception goes, it received critical acclaim upon release. Uh, The N64 version holds an aggregate score of 88% at both game rankings and Metacritic. And the DS remake received a score of 66. Wow. But some of the scores from back in the day, Edge gave it a 9 out of 10, IGN an 8.4 out of 10. Next Generation gave it 4 out of 5 stars and Nintendo Life gave it an 8 out of 10. So it it got fairly high praise.
1: I'm all for is pretty a good great. racing
2: game. So the controversial thing that I'm I might say and this might upset some people including <laughs> the person who's, you know, my co-host on this show. When comparing this game to Mario Kart 64, I honestly prefer Diddy Kong Racing. Really. I'm not going to lie, like I like Mario Kart 64. I like all the Mario Kart games. But for some reason, I just could not get into Mario Kart 64 quite like I could the Super Nintendo version. You know, come And to then you know when that? when Double Dash came out for the GameCube, I loved it. And then the Mario Kart Wii game is you know, arguably my favorite Mario Kart game ever.
1: You know, I don't think I ever played Mario Kart on the 64.
2: It was good, but it, it wasn't... It was one of those where it didn't... To me, it didn't quite have that Mario Kart magic. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly I I much prefer Diddy Kong Racing to Mario Kart 64. You think maybe it was the the controller
1: or the not great graphics for the 64 or did it, was it just you know just one of those kind of off
2: off titles? I think it was one of those off titles like the tracks weren't as fun. Yeah. The graphics I don't think helped. But to me it was more given what was there with the new tracks and everything they were a bit of a miss for me yeah but i you know i've been praising this game since i started reviewing it i absolutely love it um i had so much fun you know going back and playing it you know i remember a few years ago just you know having you know going over to a friend's house and that's what we did all afternoon and even into the evening was play diddy kong racing yeah and it was it was a lot of fun but I would honestly, uh, from a scale of 1 to 10, I would give this game a 9. Wow, that's high praise for a Nintendo 64 game. Yeah, I I absolutely loved Diddy Kong. It yeah, was
1: I'm, so much fun. I'm going to have to try it, because I see this around a lot. I mean, this is definitely not what you would consider a, like, it is a rare game. <laughs> a rare limited, but uh, not a rare game. Um, like, it's not hard
2: to find at all. I see this everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I need to actually buy a copy for myself and, and go through and play it. But, you know, it, it's one of those games that I have such vivid memory. You know, I can remember so many of the tracks, I can remember a lot of the music still in my head. It, it's one of those games that has stuck with me. You know, I, I know I, I haven't played it very much in a very long time. But the memories of it still stick with me.
1: Yeah, and that's the great thing about it is when you you have those games that you have such strong memories for. You know, like a couple weeks ago when I reviewed um, uh, Gunsmoke and just had... I have such powerful memories from that game at that time. Like, just looking at that cover, playing that game, just takes me right back to a certain point in my life. And that's what I love about these games. Because the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo were such a huge part of my childhood. And like just some of these games just have such specific memories attached to them.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely. But yeah, that's that's my thoughts on Diddy Kong Racing. I think everyone should play it.
1: Awesome. Uh, Is there anything else you would like to throw out there before we end the show this evening?
2: Yes, yeah, so uh, I posted something fairly exciting on the Parker Syndrome Facebook and Instagram pages. Yes, um, i f- I finished designing the poster. so that that's one step of media you know that I knew I had to do. I knew I wanted to do a legitimate poster and everything. So um you guys can go uh, follow the Parker Syndrome on Instagram at the Parker Syndrome, or just search for it on Facebook. And you can see, you know, several of the things that I've been posting over the last couple of months. But I'm really happy with how the poster turned out. You know, I, I think it came out extremely well. Yeah, it did. And um, the the film itself, the color correction is about two-thirds of the way done. So getting, getting closer, awesome. I, I can very much see the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> That's always the and, great part then, when you finally see that light. Yeah. And then as far as the Derek Diamond experience goes, um, I announced last week that the official return uh, will be September 5th, which I know is still a ways away, but actually at the end of this week, I will be doing uh, my first interview that I'll be holding in the can for um, the show's return. And then I've got uh, one lined up for next week and then two more in the works that I haven't set dates for yet. So, yeah. Getting, uh, getting back in the swing of things as far as the Derek Diamond experience goes, which I, I'm excited for. You know, that panel I did a couple of weeks ago really kind of rejuvenated me as to, you know, saying, yeah, I think it's time to start prepping for the show's return. Yeah. Well, so I can't you can wait. follow, um, I'm ready for it. So you can follow uh, the Derek Diamond experience on all forms of social media at The Diamond Podcast.
1: Uh, and like I was talking last week, um, it, please, you have about a couple of weeks left to get us in those emails about what you think is better, the 80s wrestling or the Attitude Era. And uh, Brandon Rutledge sent me a message the other day saying he had put up a poll in one of his um, wrestling uh Uh, groups on facebook which was better and like there was like 27 responses that attitude era was better and only one response saying that the 80s was better and i said that guy is the hero everyone else is wrong
2: (laughs) (laughs) well i think i would love to do a a separate poll asking the age range of those people that voted because i i guarantee you if they're my age or maybe a little bit older, they're going to vote for the Attitude Era because yeah. it's what they grew up watching.
1: But like I said, get those emails to us what you think is better. You still have a few more weeks. So uh, no rush, but still get them into us as soon as you can. That way I can start compiling them into the uh, the show notes and all that stuff. Um, but I think that's about it for this week. Um, I can't think of anything else to tell the people about.
2: No, I, and I, I'll say as a side note, I thought this was an awesome show.
1: Yes, it was. I loved it. And um, let's see. Let me play our music here. If you would like to email us, email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We're at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro and individually at jfunktastic and at Derek underscore diamond. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash NerdCaveRetro. And go throw us a buck or two a month over at Patreon, Patreon.com slash NerdCaveRetro. And if we get back up to that $50 level, we'll do those commentary tracks and roundtables as extra shows every month. So you'll get the regular four episodes, and you'll get that extra one. If you get it, just get us back to that $50 level. And also, if you can't do that, then just leave us a review wherever you listen to the show. So Derek, please, tell them what it's all about.
2: Stay hydrated, kids. Yes.